Abstract Athlete Podcast, a collision of art, sports, and science. When you're Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. As always, we want to say thank you to our amazing listeners and sponsors for your support. Any questions or comments, remember to please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Remember to give a listen to the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and follow us on all of our social media platforms for updates and news. Super pumped about the podcast today as I chat with guitarist and songwriter for the band Silence and Light, U.S. Army Ranger and Delta Force veteran Brad Thomas. Make sure to follow Brad on Instagram at bradthomas underscore official. And also make sure to follow the band at silence underscore and underscore light underscore official. Also, make sure to stop by their website, silenceandlightmusic.com, and pick up some merch to help all of the amazing causes they are supporting. You can also find their music on iTunes and all other streaming platforms. Also wanted to say thank you to the band for allowing us to use one of their songs titled War for the podcast today. Let's welcome Brad Thomas. And I'll come out shining Well, I guess that, I guess I fall into that. I think I fall into that category very well. So, well, brother, I really, really appreciate uh, you doing this. Um, I first of all, I'm, you know, first of all, thank you for your service. I always like to put that out there. Um, but I do think I'm going to enjoy this. Like I, you know, when we chatted the other day, uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend. Um, you know, I, who, who was that? I don't even remember. JB Spizo. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but you being a musician. I know like three JBs. Do you really? I yeah. actually know a JB, a JC, and a JD. So I'm like going up the alphabet. If I can find a JE, I'm like hitting home. <laughs> so, um, but no, just like, uh, you know, I definitely want to get into your, you know, your military background um, a little bit, but I also really just want to talk about, you know, you being a musician, how you got into that space, like how, you know, I, there's a couple things I read that really talk about how, you know, that creative outlet has really been beneficial for you. Um, just mentally, just, you know, like, cause that's one of the things we do at, at, at the abstract athlete, you know, is like really talking about the benefits of having like a daily creative practice. And that's why we do work with, you know, veterans or, or current military people. And we work with athletes as well, just like talking about, you know, athletes and, you know, we military being tactical athletes, you know, not having that creative outlet just to like really decompress and stuff. Um, we just think it's like a really important thing for mental health, anxiety, you know, all the things that are happening in the world. But, um, I think one of the things I read that I thought was really interesting is you were, you were a ranger, but then you moved on to Delta force, which apparently is like a really like rare thing to do. <laughs> First of all, how did you get into the, 
into the military? Like what, what was your background in, in going into that? Like, was it something that was family oriented? Do you have no, not at all. Um, From the time I was a little kid, I wanted to play music. I had zero desire uh, to be in the military. (laughs) I, my, my dad was a, a PhD doctor type and for for shits and giggles, he was a volunteer fire captain. And so as a very little kid, you know, I grew up very musically oriented, exposed to a lot of music. And then I also saw my dad interacting with, you know, his, his fellow firemen. Right. And it, that's not something that I necessarily recognized at the time in terms of, you know, it was formulating the things that would make an impression upon me. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but um, anyway, played music, pursued that for years and years and years and, and started with, you know, uh, piano at, at, I don't know, maybe five or six, and then just kind of progressed through instruments, you know, until hard rock was, was kind of a thing. And I recognized that I can't play hell's bells on the saxophone. So, so it was time to, you know, pick up a guitar and figure that out and everything else. So that was kind of, you know, my childhood in a, in a super brief condensed uh, version in, in December of 1989, in 1989, there, there were three things that happened that kind of led me to the military. Um, the first thing was, was at a bandmate's house, drinking beers, writing tunes, and the invasion of Panama happened. And the Rangers jumped into Panama. And I remember thinking that maybe CNN was a thing then, or, you know, I think it was just starting to be a thing then. I I could be wrong. Um, But I remember seeing some stuff on TV, little bits of footage. And and it definitely, you know, kind of like stimulated me in a way that, like, that's pretty cool. the second thing that happened was a buddy of mine that had joined the Air Force was home for leave for the first time. So he had been through basic training in AIT, his advanced uh, individual training for his MOS, which was EOD. And he told me about a group of guys that came at the end of basic training to recruit for a special unit that jumped in behind enemy lines to rescue down pilots. And so that was kind of like, uh, you know, that, that sounds kind of cool. And then the third thing, the trifecta was the band that I was in at the time just kind of fell apart. And I was in a situation where I had spent probably the better part of three years, you know, trying to build something to put together to, you know, get out there and, and go after it. And it was just super disheartening that, oh man, I'm 20, 20 years old now. And you know, do I start all over and start this whole process all over or do I look for something new? And I was a very risk taking, you know, wild kind of. <laughs> youth. So, uh, you know, the military thing just kind of came because everything else fell apart, really. And, you know, it was it was definitely in my path and in, in my calling. You know, uh, I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. But anyway, that's that's how the military came to be. Well, and. Uh- Again, I think you didn't just go to the military. You went to the special forces. Like you took it up that extra level. And again, what? Again, it's something that I read. Like why? Why is it so rare to do Rangers then Delta Force? Like what's that? What? 
at least some, that's some one of the you know like things in researching you that said you know this it's not unprecedented but it's something that's pretty rare to do that why why is that is it just because of the training um i think there are there are a lot of things that play into it you know in, in making it making it anywhere you know there are so many factors that play into you know skill luck yeah. staying healthy all of those things and so um i when i went to the recruiter i told the recruiter i wanted to be in delta force and he was like basically laughed me out of the recruiting office you can't do that <laughs> you have to be something first like special forces and i said okay i'll do special forces and he said well you can't do that either you got to be something before that like a ranger and i said okay i'll do that and that's how the ranger thing came to be so i i I didn't realize it at the time because I didn't, you know, there was no internet. There was no way to research what these, and there was, there was really no information on Delta Force. It wasn't like there was a Wikipedia that you could look up and, or it was in some encyclopedia or something like that. So really it was, you know, what little bit of stuff might've been in Hollywood or maybe books that I had read about, you know, different units that were in Vietnam and special operations type of groups and things like that. And, um, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it would be like it would be like a junior high school, a seventh grader that plays, you know, Pop Warner football saying, oh, yeah, I want to be in the NFL today. Yeah. <laughs> Calling your shot, man. That's like a good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Given given that, you know, you're you're athletic oriented. I, I like to use the NFL as an analogy in terms or, or a comparison to Delta Force, because it's basically, you know, the same thing applied to military and that people take that in a way that they think, oh, that means better than, oh, that's better than special forces or that's better than. It's not. It's just a completely different mission and it requires a unique personality, problem solving skills and physical ability to be able to just walk in the door there. So it's not it's not necessarily better. So within the NFL, if you think about that as an analogy, you know, just you need to understand how offense works, how defense works and in football, right? So you learn that it is a young age and then you start understanding different play calls. And if they do this, then I'm going to counter that. And that's kind of like your basic level special operations. You learn how to do the simple tasks, the individual skills, shooting, moving, communicating, etc. And so it's just, it's kind of like, so to get in the door at the NFL, and I, I, I tell this to a lot of people, you know, there are thousands of guys that are in the NFL that we've never heard of and we will never hear of. Absolutely. And the NFL as a, as a business is like, uh, I think on two or three years average is what, what a guy stays yep. there. So to perform in a unit like Delta Force, which is at like an NFL level and to stay there 12 years, or I know guys that have been there 18 years or longer, um, you know, those are the Dion Sanders. And, and I'm not tooting my own horn. I was just lucky enough and, and stay healthy enough to, to be able to stay there and work some different jobs within the building and, and things like that. But as an operational member of the unit, you know, that's, that's a pretty difficult task. That's literally like, uh, you know, all the Troy Aikmans and Michael Urbans and people like that. Yep. And so just, just for kind of as a comparison, I think it's a good, good place to start. No, I, I, 
that's a lot of the reason why we like this connection between athletes and military, which, you know, we didn't know that when we started the abstract athlete, we didn't, we had that idea of training and focus like that athletes have and the military have been, you know, that we didn't even know that term tactical athlete until like kind of it, as we had started, um, which to me, it makes sense because you guys are training just like a football player or, or, you know, whatever sport you want to choose. And, and again, like, that's why we think that this bringing this creative realm into that can benefit focus and, and visualization. It can, it obviously helps with our mental health and health in general. And so like one of the things like I'm curious about too, is like you obviously were a musician, like at a very young age, started that out. Was that something that you were pursuing? I mean, not pursuing, but continuing to do while you were in the military? Like, did you have a guitar with you or were you even allowed to have a guitar with you? Was it something you were thinking about um, as you were going through, you know, like the military in different, in different levels? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the answer to that, yes. When I joined, initially there was probably a, you know, eighth month period where I didn't have anything. And uh, I, I was kind of, when I walked away from the music piece, it was kind of like, I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm moving on to something else. And it wasn't until I got settled at the Rangers, which took, you know, you go through basic training, you go through, I went through advanced infantry training, then I went to airborne school. Then I went to a, a three week long Ranger indoctrination program, which was just like, you know, three weeks of hazing and, you know, see if they can make you quit kind of stuff. And then I walk in the door as a brand new guy. And um, it wasn't until I got settled there and developed some friendships and kind of realized the, the core people that I was going to stay friends with. And it's hard to understand, but there's a high, very high turnover rate. You know, so of my friends that I went through the Ranger indoctrination program with and basic training and everything else, I mean, just only a handful of those guys were left after a few months of being assigned. So, you know, once kind of the core group shook out and we realized, you know, hey, you're not going to quit and you're a switched on guy and you can perform and you're not a dirtbag. And, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of once that happened, um, I had some friends that were. And I guess the thing that really kind of sparked it back up, I had a friend, uh, we were out at a bar, I think it was like Panama City, Florida or something, and we were wasted. And I was at the bar and he had gone and talked to this band that was performing and was like, hey, my buddy, it was almost like Make-A-Wish. <laughs> you know? my, nice. yeah, my buddy always just ever wanted to, you know, play live music with a band and and, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there at the bar ordering more drinks or whatever. And I, I all of a sudden I was like, Hey, Brad, come on up here. Brad, hey, Brad, where are you at? And I was like, what? It's like barely coherent. And, uh, anyway, I ended up playing a tune with these guys and at the end, it, you know, like people were coming up and shaking my hand and it was like, Oh, holy shit. Like you can play. <laughs> and, and so that kind of, you know, there was some kind of like urban folklore within the barracks of like, oh, this happened and that dude's for real and, and that kind of thing. So once that happened, it was kind of like at the same time, uh, this is 1991 and going into the I got there in the spring of 91. 
going into the fall of 91. And I was just watching a documentary about this, but uh, three albums released on the same day, yep. September 24th, 1991. Yep. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden, and Nevermind by Nirvana. And they're like, dude, talk about changing the game. Yep. And so that really hit home at the same time because those albums were pushed so hard and got so much airplay, both on radio and on MTV. Then all of a sudden it was like, hey, well, there's this other band that had an album out that year, uh, Alice in Chains. Check that out. And, oh, here's Temple of the Dog and Pearl Jam 10. And it was incredible. So I was working in a record store at that time, as a matter of fact. So it was just like, you know, like it was literally mind blowing like what was happening musically. Yeah, there was a really good documentary just literally, I think aired a couple of days ago on YouTube by Loudwire. And it was, it was 1991 and like what made this unique and how is it different? And it was kind of piecing together. It's, it's a part of a series, but um, yeah, just what an incredible year. So to be challenged on a daily basis and not know that I was going to even make it through the next day, you know, and all the physical and mental demands that were being placed on me at the Rangers and have that be the soundtrack of our, you know, going out on Friday night or whatever it might be, or cranked up in the barracks. And man, I, so my buddies were like, dude, you need to go get another, like, you need to go get some stuff. So I went out and got a half stack and guitar or a couple of guitars and stuff like that. So anyway, long story short, um, yeah, I was able to kind of play and stay with it. I didn't get seriously back into it until mid two thousands. And that was kind of like, all right, I'm, I did the bulk of my military service and deploying and things like that. And I was finally in a position where I had a little bit of time to myself and family and things like that. And I could, you know, actually really kind of get back into it and got into some bands and played in Fayetteville and was opening up for all the national acts that would come through Fayetteville and surrounding areas and stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of how I integrated back into it. Um, I don't want to monopolize all of the time here, but you mentioned creativity. And one of the things I would say is within, I don't know about the military in general because I never served in the, in the general military, but I know within special operations, it's all about creativity, you know, and how do we do something in a different way that's going to outsmart the other guys and all of that. So there was a huge you know, creative stimuli and ability to kind of be creative while serving, regardless of art, whatever form that might be. Do you, I mean, do you think music helped you in terms of like responding, you know, cause like music is such a, a call and response kind of a game anyways, uh, particularly like the music that you like, cause it's born out of the blues in, in that sense. I mean, do you think it like benefited you as a military person? I, I think that there were some benefits and there were also some, uh, some drawbacks to right. it. Okay. And, you know, so I definitely was a creative person and had ways of doing things that weren't, you know, status quo. And, and that also, you know, kind of rub <laughs> people the wrong way. Right. You're the one that's constantly doing something differently than the way everybody else is doing it. But you know, you're performing or you're cooking up new ideas or new ways to get things or, new things, items, whatever that might be. So 
I, I think, you know, whether it was instilled in me through playing music for as many years or whether it was something that I, I feel like you're just kind of born. You're either a creative person, you're not a creative person. You can expose people to music. Some people, you know, tear up when they hear a song that meant something to them 20 years ago. Other people could care less. Yep. You know, it, it, there's the whole spectrum of things. So I don't, um, I don't, I don't feel like it's something that's instilled in you. I think it can be brought out of you if you're afforded the opportunity. But I think you're either creative or you're, or you're not. I think you can also learn to be creative. Yep. Now. It... I, like just going back to thinking about the the early '90s and really truly how revolutionary that time was. Not just musically, obviously musically, because for me, I, that is the last music movement that I like. It just was, Gr you know, grunge was the last true music movement that it seeped into society. Like it changed the way people thought and did things, and. I, it changed the way that I actually, I think, listened to music, even though I was like starting, you know, I was playing in bands as well. It changed the way I, it changed the way I looked at the world, like, which sounds weird to say that, but it, it really did. Um, and like, do you, I mean, did that, like, did that, ha it sounds like that kind of happened for you as well. Not, maybe not the world part, but the way that you kind of played music and and maybe thought about music because i think i read one of the things is like the first the first time you heard barry manilow was like when you knew you wanted to be a musician and yeah, like that's yeah. awesome because i remember listening my dad played barry manilow in the house every once you know and it's like so i do like i go back to like my upbringing personally as as like what my family used to listen to and and then like how like my kind of shift of music changed and again like that that grunge scene like chris cornell as a singer and, and Soundgarden in general is just like, they're my band. I mean, like that was the shit for me. And uh, I don't, I never get, you know, I don't, people die, people, you know, like that I know, like I am sad for that, but like Chris Cornell's death, like actually did something to me because, you know, weirdly, because I've never, I never met the guy. Um, you know, I saw them play multiple times and um, we were actually supposed to open up for Pearl Jam, which would have been pretty, killer but then they ended up bringing a band with them um but it is like it was it was just like and and like you were talking about i still listen to that that music and it still resonates like it's it yeah. just still holds like a huge place yeah it's it's interesting to me because i feel like at the time i didn't necessarily appreciate it for what it was and i think it's also difficult when you're living a time to recognize that it's gonna have the impact that it does, right? So in my mind, back then, the big game changer was, you know, thrash metal and going from going from bands like ACDC and Van Halen and Rush and all of a sudden, you know, Corrosion I could mean, of conformity and <laughs> Yeah, I mean every everybody says of oh, Metallica, but I try and explain to people that didn't live back then or live that scene back then. Metallica was one of like a thousand thrash metal bands and they just endured and they were, I think, better and better quality and better production and all of that stuff than a lot of the other bands. But there were a thousand other thrash metal bands back then and Headbangers Ball didn't just feature. It wasn't until the late 80s 
where you know the one video came out, I think in 89, uh, Metallica's one right off Injustice for All. So that was like a you know a different time. But early 80s into the mid 80s, it was just kind of, you know, I don't know, kind of took that for granted the same way. It just status quo almost. Yep. So I looked at music in the 60s and 70s as kind of, you know, the high watermark of what I thought was, especially because it had a political component to it. And there was so much, you know, anti-war, uh, anti-Vietnam, all of that stuff going on in the late 60s into the early 70s. And uh, anyway, interesting to look back on it because I don't think that anybody said it at the time, but those three albums that we mentioned basically took hair metal and commercialized metal and took, it was gone like within a matter of, and, and so it's interesting. It's like this self-correcting thing where that music became popular. Guns N' Roses was probably the first big act that kind of by the summer of 1988, everybody was listening to Sweet Child of Mine. And so then the music industry is pushing everything they can. Every shit band, Keel, uh, you know, <laughs> LA Gun, like you name it, just yep. like one yep. garbage act after another. And yep. all of a sudden, here's Kurt Cobain and all these dudes from Seattle that they don't care how they look, you know, uh, it just all about the music and it was depth. It went from partying, driving down the Sunset Strip, girls to deep, real shit yep. and connected. It really connected. Yeah, no, I, again, like it, it still to me, it feels like it was yesterday that that shit was happening. I mean, it's, it was, it is that crystal clear in my head. I remember the first time I listened to Pearl Jam's 10. Again, I was working in a record store and we put it on and it was just like, whoa, like what in the hell? You know, and I'd listened to, you know, Soundgarden, listened to to Mother Love Bone and, and stuff. But then like, th it was just like, this is, uh, this is like, what the hell? And then like you listen, the crazy part to me is li listening to Nevermind. Like it sounds so raw, like in comparison to what the hell the hair bands and, you know, it's, I never liked the hair shit anyways, but like you yeah. listen to that, but Nevermind is really produced, but it just oh, yeah. sounded so different that it sounded just like guttural and raw. Like you were saying it, it was like, it was real. And it, and yeah. it, it's just, it's just so wild to like, think back about that time because it was, it was just like this, it was like revolutionary for lack of a better way to say it. It, it also wasn't something so interestingly in this documentary, as I'm watching it, they're talking about, you know, really about 1986, the grunge movement was taking place. Yep. But I would say that was a local thing only. Yep. It, wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, nationwide thing at that point. You know, nobody on the East, at least on the East Coast where I live had heard of, you know, any of the bands that would go on to get signed or any of that stuff. It wasn't until uh, Nevermind, Nevermind kind of just took it mainstream. So the first album that I heard, and it was it was a tie between Pearl Jam 10 and Smashing Pumpkins Git. Yeah. Those were the two. So their first album. And I remember like 
really having a hard time finding them in even a record store. Yep. The only reason I heard about it was because I had a buddy that went to Savannah College of Art and Design at College Radio nice. and literally, you know, talked to him on a payphone one weekend and he was like, hey, here are, the, here are the bands that I'm digging on right now. And so I went out looking for them and found two of them. Right. But that was that was my kind of, uh, and I like both. I still like both of those records. Oh, I absolutely. Gish, Gish is great. I, I actually think that's my probably still my favorite smashing pumpkins record yeah. to me like, i mean i they're, they're all this stuff's pretty good like i what's his i can't even remember billy corgan he's a he's he's a kind of a wacky dude um yeah. like had a had a strange conversation with him one night and um just a little full of himself which is fine like, you know whatever but it's just like dude come on um you know it's just me and you talking <laughs> i don't need to hear like this this bs but i you know like I want to go to one thing that I, again, another thing I read. So you, you got out of the military in 2010, I think 2010 and you'd always been playing music. And, and then it was kind of, I, from what I read, it was your wife that kind of said, why don't you try to do something with this? Basically. I mean, for, I'm, you know, paraphrasing, but is that, is that correct? And then that, that kind of like launched you into this really thinking about going after your dream again like is for lack of a better yeah, way to say it is that for the most part yeah reader's digest version <laughs> um, yeah that, that that's basically right um we went out she and i and we still do basically go out every friday and do the date night thing and have a couple of cocktails and then get a nice dinner and um we always get deep when we are talking you know it's not usually superficial stuff and for the better part of a few years would talk to her about, you know, how can I give back? What can I do? What should I do to make a change? How can I, and it would vary weekly. It might be, you know, run for office and be the next president, or it might be, you know, who knows. And one day had really nothing to do with the Friday night thing, but she came into this room in the house and I was in here and she was like, you know, it's a shame you're not doing anything with this stuff. And I played, you know, I was playing all the time, but you know, it was kind of like, man, you have all this gear and you love it. And just a shame you're not doing something with it. And I literally was driving the next day into uh, Manhattan to meet up with my now bandmate, but then, then buddy, uh, Jason Everman, who was in Nirvana and Soundgarden and Mindfunk. That has to be a wild little connection for you as well. And Mind Funk, I love that band. Oh my yeah, God, yeah. I love that band. Yeah, I actually bought that in uh, 93 when it, it, one of their album, their, their last album, I believe, I bought it in 93, the one, one that he's on, yep. which is kind of funny uh, later. But I wasn't, um, I, there was no fanboy kind of thing with, with Jason. It was more just about our service and having connection through that so when we met um you know years and years ago it was really about hey we did both did this service thing but also both played music and also both you know really loved music and loved talking about gear and all of that stuff so that was that was kind of the connection but anyway i was driving the next day to uh to meet him in manhattan we were going to go see mastodon and uh, I think Jason and Bill Kelleher from Mastodon used to room together and there was some connection to like, 
go backstage and hang with those guys kind of deal. And anyway, as I was driving the, the conversation with my wife about, you know, Hey, why aren't you should be doing something with this stuff. And the fact that I was going to meet Jason just kind of clicked. And the light bulb moment was, I know what I want to do. I want to, I want to play music and I want to take the proceeds of music royalties. And I want to give those to charitable organizations that help, you know, whomever we identify at whatever point. And, uh, you know, Jason and I are having a few drinks pre Mastodon and, you know, starting to feel good. And Hey man, I, I know you've had music for a long time and, and it kind of did you wrong in a lot of ways. And if you don't want to do this, it's okay, but I would love to do this. And I basically, you know, told him, uh, you know, the exact thing I just said. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So within a couple of days, I started a social media page and, you know, trying to as best you can through pictures and things like that, try to convey this message of here's who I am and here's what I'm doing and here's why I'm doing it. And it just started to grow. Um, both from a following standpoint and then also just organically band members and uh, different people that have helped out with whether it be graphic design stuff or uh, producer. Yeah, um, I was going to say the producer of your first album was is a military Navy guy, right? Uh, Marine. Yeah. And I, that's what I was going to actually ask you is like, I'm sure you probably have people wanting to be in the band. You probably had like just this influx of of military vets that like see what you're doing like hey dude i play triangle or what you know and and i'm sure that like became a thing didn't it yeah 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 to some degree and it was it was interesting the way it happened because you know similarly nobody was there was no fanboy anything it was just like hey i love what you're doing i want to be a part of it how can i contribute yeah you play an instrument and then and then that takes you down a whole separate well do they fit and what's your style and can you you know your schedule support this and there's a lot of things that play into it but yeah it was it was interesting to see uh just kind of grow and take off and um uh, anyway that's that's kind of where we are so release the first album and um i try and explain to people you know i don't think an artist is ever happy looking backwards and saying no. that, that was my best effort um I try and explain to people that when the producer got involved, first of all, he's one of the biggest producers in, in music. And I don't even know the guys aside from Bieber and uh, Maroon 5 and Celine Dion, Jay Baldwin, you know, like I don't even know who they are. I'll see him. I'll see him post something like, Hey, just mix this for so-and-so. And I'm like, Who's that? <laughs> and, look, and it'll be like 177 million dollars. Right, right. Like, oh, okay. So anyway, um, when he reached out and volunteered his time to produce the first album, it kind of put a time like, okay, well, we got to be ready here because here's when he can do it. And it's not like he's got a ton of free time. Um, whether we were finished with the material whether we you know or not it's really kind of what it came down to and so we kind of limped that first album across the finish line yep. and it was really you know here's a collection of songs we had originally 12 i think that got cut down to 10 that then got cut down to eight because 
some of them just didn't, you know, the lyrics weren't thought through. Like there were just things that we couldn't get finished. Yep. And that's the nature. And, that's or, the nature of music. Like I, I yeah. remember being in the studio trying, like, I never understand how singer, I mean, like, that's what I, you know, I'm a singer, like how singers can sit in a studio and just like come up with lyrics for a song. Like I always had to get the music from the band kind of digest it think of melody lines, think of like, you know, lyrics and blah, blah, blah. But like, there's certain singers that can actually sit in a studio and just kind of like, I think Ozzy Osbourne can like, used to be able to do that. Like, and sometimes like you can, you can just, you know, you're just like kind of like humming along and like words will come out and maybe that triggers something, but it's, it's, I, so I know what you mean. Like it, it's just the nature of the, of the beast, but how, how killer to like, Cause you, you recorded it in, in California, like, um, and that's again, like, but you that, the whole thing to me is so badass. Like, first of all, what you're doing, the way that you're giving back and, and how it's all come together. Um, it's just like, it's so powerful, but it's just, it's also from the outside looking in, it's just like, you have to be like loving it because it's like this return to this first love of yours that you're now able to do at a really cool level. And, and again, like what you're doing to inspire people, I, it's just, you have to be not to sound corny as shit, but like you have to be just proud as shit about what, what you're doing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing, right? I'm, I'm a person that I think, um, I can explain it like this. I have kids that'll hit me up all the time and I'll say like, Oh, it must've been awesome to be in Delta force. You must've been, you know, over the moon that you were there. And like, it, it kind of doesn't work that way. Like you have to perform every day yeah. and it's not like, well, I'm here now. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I own this bitch. Like I can do whatever I want. You know, it's not that way. And it, it's kind of the same with music. Like it, I guess for me, it's always trying to push to be better, striving to be better, have better songs, have better everything. Um, you know, so when I when I look back at stuff off the first album, I'm proud that we got it done. And I'm proud to have done it with the guys that I did it with. And we had some magical moments and connections in the studio where it was just like, wow, man, this is really what this is all about, creating inspiring one another kind of pushing each other a little bit um you know so it was it was really exciting to kind of go through that process again and kind of get the writing thing going again and bring in new tunes in for us to work on and everything else and i think you know the benefit of covid for us it, it kind of killed our ability to go play out and do some live things that we had in the works um but it gave us the opportunity to like really refine this next set of tunes that we're going to be recording here real soon. And not even, I, I feel like it's just, it's, it's a slice of who we are right now today. And uh, I don't know, there, it, there's nothing that was like a song that was left over from album one that we felt like it's just all new stuff and it just, it's in the box. So it, it took our first album for us to really kind of define who we were, like what's our sound? What do we, we didn't, we didn't start out going like, hey, we're gonna write a bunch of grungy tunes <laughs> and 
you know, like that wasn't the intent. It was just like, hey, I'm going to write some tunes. We all contribute. Yeah. It's out of all fit together. And, but everybody gets to put their, their flavor on it. And, you know, let's see what it sounds like when it, when it comes out at the end. And what, was the, what was the timeline between you guys really getting together and, and recording that first album? Was it like within a year or two? So, I mean, was so, it, it was pretty quick, wasn't it? The, the four of us met in January of, I think, 2018 for the first time in person. Um, by September of 2018, we still didn't even have a singer. We were recording. We were recording an album in four months. <laughs> that is, that's pretty Literally, epic. You have a singer. That's pretty epic. He he showed up. Fred, our singer, showed up Labor Day or yeah, Labor Day weekend, 2018, and January 2nd, we were on planes headed to LA to record. Wow! And wow. he had. He had maybe three songs of the 12 that were kind of done in, in, in the box, at least, you know, where we could refine stuff. So that's why I say it was like, I don't, people don't realize that it was like literally just because of timing. Um, I don't even think I told the producer that we didn't have a singer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way I'm <laughs> Yeah, I, we're good. I, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he and I were talking by mid-summer of 2018 and that was kind of when we put the mark on the wall of okay i can do it here you know you guys be ready to go and i'm like oh yeah man we're, we're ready <laughs> we're an instrumental act that's what yeah. yeah that's that's pretty epic no but again like that that to me is like that's part of your history of that of the band like and that's kind of cool because it's just uh, it is a roller coaster of a ride yeah. I also, you know, I always try and mention this to people too, but like when I was trying to figure out what to do and how to get back and how to, you know, whatever it was that I wanted to do, one of the things that I knew for a fact that I didn't want to do, uh, and I don't look down upon anybody who does this, but I didn't want to start like a foundation and I don't want to ask people for money. I, I just hate that part of it. Like, Hey, Give me your money so I can do this with it. Again, it's totally great that people do that, but it turns into what it turns into is like a fundraiser. Like that's everything you do turns into a fundraiser. And so the, to me, the brilliance in, uh, you know, writing music and recording it is, you know, I'm basically funding it. Right. So it, it's not free or cheap to record albums. You can do it cheap and free. Um, and, and you end up with like half half product it's cheaper but. than it used to be, but it's still, because yeah. I, mean, I like, again, I remember when we were going into the studios back in the day and then in the nineties, like, like it was expensive as shit. And now like, you know, you can get stuff that sounds just as good and do yeah. it in a home studio, not as good, but just stuff that sounds pretty, pretty comparable at a, at your home now. Yeah. So it's, but it's crazy. Yeah, definitely. So they're, they're affordable ways of doing it. And that was kind of our goal initially was like, Hey, even if we have to, this is, this is great logic. Even if we have to spend like five grand to get a decent recording, you know, it'll, it'll be worth it. And that, that five grand turned into probably 35 grand, like, like that. Anyway, um, you know, the brilliance is that like we're contributing to music. We're doing all the work. We're, we're putting in the money. 
and all you've got to do is buy a song. And if you stream it, yeah, we're still getting a royalty, but I, I try and tell people yep. if you really want to support the causes that we're giving to buy the album because yep. well, we're I'm, doing that. I'm doing that today. And I want to actually ask permission to use one of the songs in the, cause I actually usually write music or use some of my music for each episode. Um, sure. But if you're, yeah, and if you have one of the songs you want to do, that I was going to Real quick break, make sure to follow Brad on Instagram at bradthomas underscore official. Also follow the band on Instagram at silence underscore and underscore light underscore official. Also make sure to stop by their website, silenceandlightmusic.com and pick up some merch and music and help all the amazing causes that they are supporting. You can also find their music on iTunes and all other music streaming platforms. Again, make sure to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Now, back to Brad. And so like you're, you're, you guys, like you said, you're like in the, in the right, well, I guess the other question I have, does everybody live in the same area or are you doing a lot of remote stuff in some ways? Uh, we do a lot of remote stuff and I think that that's pretty typical in 2021 yeah. for bands. Like unless you're uh, 19 and, you know, getting in a van and driving around the East coast together or whatever, but it's pretty typical. Like I don't, I don't think that everybody in Megadeth lives in the same town. You know? We opened up for Megadeth, by the way, back in the day. Megadeth and the Misfits, man. It was epic. Um, <laughs> nice. I've got Jason's got some great Glenn Danzig stories oh, and, and Mustang stories. I think they opened for uh, Megadeth, had it been like 93 or something, but maybe 94. Yeah, but. we were the, the Misfits that we played with was post Danzig, but they were the nicest guys, like the nicest guys. Um, they were actually on the side of the stage at, at the end of our set doing this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's it. Validation. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, going, going back through everything and kind of creating and writing. Yeah. We, we're not all together. I basically, uh, put most of the tunes together myself and I'll send, we, I don't like to go high tech with demos and I feel like if you do that, basically you're going to spend all your time trying to make your demo sound perfect. And it just, it's a rabbit hole that I don't want to get into. So I just have a, a device that hooks to my iPhone. I'll record uh, guitar parts and kind of send those out. And there's a couple of, you know, approval processes, you know, like, Hey, if this guy likes it, then it's probably a decent thing. And okay, maybe now let's see if we can find a melody in there somewhere. And if we can get those two things going, then we'll work on it when we're together. And it, it's kind of cool because we're not spending our time when we're together doing a whole lot of figuring out. Everybody is already familiar with the material because they've done their little part to it. And we don't even necessarily share it. Um, you know, once everybody kind of plays along with it, you know, whether it's by themselves or just in earphones or whatever. So when we get together, it's kind of like, all right, here's the seven we're working on today. And 
if one doesn't work, we kind of just move on. And there are a lot of really good tunes that we've passed on just because of time and, and trying to be efficient with our time rather than let's really make this work. There are a handful of times when, you know, I'll, I'll fall on my sword and say, you know, look, th this one deserves spending the afternoon trying to sort out, even if we work on nothing else today, let's, let's, let's figure this thing out. And uh, anyway, so we'll get it in that, in that box, we'll put together um, one more together. We'll do a very rough demo of just the music uh, that singer can work with to kind of finalize all of his pieces and parts. And then he has the ability to lay vocals on top of that, like kind of master track. And we can at least kind of tweak what he's doing and, and make sure that it's in the box. And that's, that's kind of how we work. So um, the music for this album is, is basically all written. I think I've got like two last minute tunes that if we can, I'd like to substitute for two other songs. And, this is the first time that I've ever been a part of recording anything where every song that we've got on this, and I think there's 12, I'm looking at the list, there's 12 and we've got a bonus track. Um, so there'll technically be 13 songs. Um, I like every one, like they are all hitters. It's not like, oh, you know, this one, <laughs> you know, it's a filler, something, you know, there isn't any of that. And I can't find an album today that I like everything on, uh, even the, the newest Alice in Chains album that came out in 2018. It's like, there are three tunes on there that I feel like are awesome tunes. Yep. Um, and, and the others are good. It's just not, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so it's it'll be interesting to see how this is received. We've got a, a label that's interested. So as soon oh, as we get awesome. rough, as soon as we get the rough mixes from the studio, then we'll send those along and let people kind of uh, we've also got a publicist involved and I, I recognize too that I feel like I've done a really good job marketing and getting us out there to the veteran uh, community, but I feel like this connects and should resonate with a whole lot more people than just the veteran and first responder community. I mean, we've had a whole bunch of healthcare workers that dealt with dealing with COVID and all of the stuff that was going on with that last year. And, um, I've listened to a podcast. This is kind of funny. I listened to Jay Moore's podcast. who was Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, I love Jay Moore. Yep. I was listening to his podcast and Justine Bateman from oh, yeah. Fantasize was on and she had written a book and it was about falling from fame. And, you know, here she was on TV, especially when it went into syndication. She's on everybody's TV. Absolutely. Every Right. Everybody knows she is. The show gets canceled and it's kind of like, who are you? Yep. And now you're typecast because you were Mallory for, you know, <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> anyway, she, she, on the podcast, she was talking about how she had lost her identity and all of these things. And I was like, this is the same stuff that I'm talking about when I'm talking about veterans. Absolutely. Or that's what we talk about with, with athletes as well. That transition it's, it, I hate to say it's more than, more than an athlete or more than a veteran or more. We're all more than what people think we are. You know, that it's absolutely true. Like, yeah. So it was, it was interesting to hear, hear that and say, okay, well, what I'm talking about kind of what we're, you know, writing music about and the things that we're trying to 
kind of delve into should relate to more people than than just the veteran and first responder type of community. So we've got a publicist on board that's going to start blasting stuff out everywhere. And, you know, hopefully that's going to help move the needle uh, more than it already has. So we've way surpassed, you know, our internal goals in terms of, you know, I thought if we can get 5,000 people behind us, (laughs) literally, it was like 5,000 bucks to record this thing. If we can get 5,000 people behind it to download it, to, streaming, you know, to whatever, if we can connect with 5,000 people, that's amazing. And it's just, it's gone so much bigger than that. Um, and that's been pretty incredible to see. So one of the things that I I'll, I was going to mention later, but I'll mention now, like we, um, we just bought 20 acres of land in Montana last fall. Um, with the idea of starting an artist athlete residency. Well, one of the things we want to do is build a music studio out there. The bands can come and record or, do, you know, do different things, but like, you know, not for this album, obviously that, but like in the future, man, I think it would be awesome to have you guys out there recording in this space because first of all, it's remote, it's middle kind of nowhere, but it's close enough to like billings and stuff. And just like, again, that connection of like what we're trying to do to inspire everybody to be creative but like having like again what you're doing even though like you just said like the initial stuff was was for veterans and first responders it it it's for everybody like everybody can relate to what you're doing and what you're talking about it might be like more specific to this group, but it's still like, we're all dealing with the COVID issues. We're all dealing with anxiety and stresses in different ways. And, and I just, I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like with the grunge stuff, like that real talk that everybody can relate to in some capacity. And that's why, that's why, you know, again, like listening to, you know, like some of your songs yesterday is like, Oh yep, I'm in like, I just, I get it. Like in this, like the sound, you know, the sound resonates with me. Um, and, and it's, I, I just think again, what you're doing is that's, what's so badass about it is it, yeah. it, it does come from this, this place of what you were trying to do, but it, it's, it funneled down into that. Now it's just like, whew, you know, like it's blowing up. Like you were saying, 5,000 people is what we were trying to reach, but screw that man. Like we're, we're well beyond yeah. that now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. It's cool when you see like, oh, this song just reached uh, 100,000 streams. This yep. song reached, you know, such and such. This, how many purchases? This yep. is like, like, wow, that's pretty, pretty cool. So yep. anyway, if, if um, you know, if people want to support the band, uh, obviously. Yeah, I haven't uh, even mentioned t- the band's name. God, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if, if people want to support the band, you know, uh, buying merchandise is the best way to do that. So we're, we're trying to offset some of our costs yep. uh, through sales of merchandise and things like that. And, you know, hopefully it'll help pay for some hotel rooms and travel and <laughs> stuff like that. Are, um, are you yeah. guys thinking, I mean, like you're, this is probably again down the road a little bit, but are you thinking about touring? Yeah, we, we had, um, so pre COVID we had some USO stuff lined up. Yep um that was that was kind of the thing like i don't think any of us want to do uh seven months you know driving across country in a winnebago i I don't i don't that's not the goal um we can definitely play festivals we can definitely play 
Uh, and we've already done some one-off shows and benefits and things like that. So our goal is if we could do a show or two a month, you know, we, we'd be totally cool with that. Um, we'd be totally cool with a small run, you know, supporting so-and-so for, you know, right. 20 days on, you know, East coast version of whatever they're doing. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking to get into, but I think, our whole focus right now is get this album recorded, get it finished. And we have a timeline for that now. Um, you know, so I think by April it releases, um, you know, publicist has to have information and kind of some of that stuff prior to, so that it's all on schedule and everything else. But who, who are some of like, I I don't want to say, I always ask this question to people because I always find it fascinating, like heroes or inspirations, like, like, you know, I think again, we have like very similar music tastes in, in a lot of ways, but not that those people are necessarily like inspirations. I mean, Chris Cornell, definitely, um, you know, Corey Glover from living color was like such a, a love, yeah. love, love his voice. Um, so some, you know, like musical inspirations like are that, and I mean, it doesn't have to be music, but like some people that inspired you, I guess. Um, definitely, uh, Eddie Van Halen. Um, I, I think just him, I, I put guys into different categories. So people will say things like, oh yeah, but this guy is better, faster, right. et cetera. And it's like, okay, name all the number one hits that, uh, Joe Satriani wrote. <laughs> right. you know? Tell me, tell me, <laughs> uh, biggest top, you know, <laughs> top hit. and so there, there are technicians and I can respect those guys for what they are, but I've always been like a lover of the riff. Yep. you know absolutely and if you can write a riff you can be an idiot and play the guitar and barely know how to play and write a riff a uh, perfect example tune um angry chair by uh Alan james sitting on an angry chair written by lane staley or yeah the singer written by lane staley on the guitar after he like literally figured out how to play guitar you know um super simple stuff like that can just go a long way so you you don't have to be uh, a master technician um but you know i've always been about the riff so guys that could write riffs i loved rush and alex lifeson um growing up i got into a whole uh early 90s john frusciante uh you know chili peppers kind of thing um, obviously a huge, uh, thrash metal fan, you know, through the eighties and, and bands like Testament and, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, Metallica, but, you know, really in 85, nobody knew who Metallica was, you know, I was one of the, like the lone three people in high school <laughs> or like Metallica, you know, nobody else knew. Even after Master of Puppets came out, yeah. nobody knew who they were. Yeah. Uh, they were open for Ozzy in 86. I got to see that, um, you know, they were huge. I got to see uh, Anthrax very early on. I love those guys. Oh, they're uh, uh, Scott Ian is just like the sweetest, nice. I met him multiple times in Columbus where I, used, where I grew up and uh, just the nicest guy, just down yeah. to earth. But so, in terms of, so interestingly, you know, those are the guys that were kind of like when I was playing back then, the guys that I wasn't trying to play like them. I wasn't trying to be that, but 
the thrash metal scene was kind of the scene that we were in. Um, years later and now, it's interesting because I wouldn't have said, oh, Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots was a huge influence on me. But man, there are some things that he does that I absolutely love. And if you listen closely, I could point out examples in a song where it's like, I did this because on this Stone Temple Pilot song, I love the way this chord rang out. And it didn't translate necessarily the way that I wanted it to on the recording. But, you know, if it had, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I totally I hear that exactly. Um, there's stuff like that that totally surprised me. Um, Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. yeah, probably that dude just writing a riff. Yep. And in just a heavy, dark riff. I, that's the kind of music I like. I um, 100% agree. I like detuning is like the best tuning as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, cause it's just, it is like, it's the sound of dark and evil and, and just, I, I yeah. I mean, I can still sit down and listen like to any one of those albums from that time period and just like it just it feels as fresh today as it did then like listening to like uh like the acoustic albums um of alice and chain's sap and um i can't remember the name of the other one fly uh what is it i can't remember Starflies. yeah like those like it, they're just so darkly beautiful like just it, it just like it does you were talking about earlier about like things that make people cry like some of those songs, like you can just feel the hair on your arms. Yeah, stick up. I, you're talking about it. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. My arm hair to like. Yeah. And I like, I, I always go back to, you know, again, like Alice in Chains and, and Soundgarden were, are really, truly, you know, my two, I love Pearl Jam too, but I think just the way that Cornell sang and the way that Lane Staley sang, um, that's just, it's a, I don't know, but I have so if you if you're a, a Soundgarden fan, I wrote the tune War on our album yep. to be kind of a Jesus Christ pose song. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. when you when you know that and now if I'm, you listen to that's it. That's one of the ones I listened to last night. They'll be like, oh, okay. I yep. I hear it now. What what happened was <laughs> because most of the dudes in the band are into the heavier stuff. Yep. And I, I'm like literally like pulling the horse reins back. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 We're not going there. We're not going there. Like, this is this is where I want us to be. Um, so we we started, I started messing with that riff in in uh, rehearsal, and drummer was instantly on the double bass. Yep. And we were like, ooh. <laughs> That's epic. Okay. Yep. You listen to it, go back and listen to it and think about like, okay, if it wasn't double bass and it wasn't some of this other stuff going on, it really is like, I just, and it wasn't to try and write a song that's like, this is Jesus Christ pose uh, part two. Right. It was more like, I love the tempo. I love that it took a long time to get to that final release when he's like, this is your Jesus Christ. Yep. Like, when it gets to that part, it's like orgasmic, like finally this release, you know? Yep. Um, so that's the way I wrote it. It wasn't to be like, I want to write a song that sounds exactly like Jesus Christ pose. Right. And, you know? So anyway, 
Um, no, yeah. that's killer. I, I like, I, I like right now I'm like, so jazzy. <laughs> like, I'm like, I mean, I gotta write some music down right now because I, I get like, I, I just get so excited about like writing music and stuff. Like, like, I think I told you I've been, cause I don't, I fiddle on guitar, probably like the Lane Staley thing. I'm ding, 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 you know, whatever. But having garage band for me, I love it and hate it because I hate the idea of it but I love it for me because I can compose an entire song now, send it to my musician friends. Here's a, here's a song, play it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and, and so it's, oh man. Yeah. No, I'm like super, super jazzed. I just, I want to go see live music too. Like that's the other thing is like, I've just been waiting yeah. like, okay, who am I going to go see for the first concert I've seen since all this stuff happened? My one regret is like, I was going to go try to see, temple of the dog when they did that kind of reunion thing a couple of years ago and yeah. the closest they were playing was in philadelphia and at that time i had to be somewhere else for something and just couldn't go and then of course you know a couple months later he was dead yeah. and it's like oh totally god did. so the last last show i saw was tool oh. in november uh yeah november 2019 right yep they so, just they just put out their um yeah, I know. just yesterday <laughs> and I was like okay they're going to be where DC okay I can, I can do that do you yeah, like yeah. their new album Oh love it I, I do too I had so many people go uh, I don't know I'm like oh my god you need to listen to it for a while because it grows and grows and grows Numa Numa and yep. Invincible I feel like are two of the best pieces of music yep. that have been released in the last two decades Yep hands down like just almost perfection yep. and i can understand if you're not into like the you know long seven minute song you know why why it wouldn't be appealing to you but uh they're, they're incredible pieces of music i'm trying to think that the numa i think is my favorite song on that album but then it's the i think it's the fourth song on there because they have those little interludes so it's technically the fourth song there's a moment that there's this guitar solo or whatever then it's just like yeah hair on the back of my neck i'm just like oh my it's just like it takes it like literally transports you into another world and yeah i had a weird conversation with uh with um maynard uh when i met him while he was playing with a perfect circle because it was nine inch nails and i the one one time drummer of nine inch nails i kind of know from columbus and so got to go backstage and I was talking to Maynard. It was just like, whoa, dude, this guy's out there. <laughs> just out there. Have you ever listened to Pussifer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff. Perfect circle, yeah. all that. Love it. Love it. Um, well, dude, I, I I feel like you and I only talk for hours because <laughs> I just go down this rabbit hole of music and shit. But I know you're a busy guy and um no, I'm, I'm uh I, this is the stuff i could i could talk about for days okay probably good. people that aren't music people will be like eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's 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 super you know it's my passion yep. and uh you know it's always been a part of me one of one of the most surreal moments in my life was being able to hang with ozzy and give ozzy something Check this out. I gave Ozzy a set of patches that had been worn overseas. Oh, wow. He gave them to everybody in the band. And Geezer wore one on his shirt the night of the show. And so we're like, 
like their fa- farewell tour type stuff yeah, yeah oh, that's yeah. killer like, dude like how cool is that in, in a million years and sabbath was one of my like oh yeah early on and, and still to this day without now, sabbath there is no sound garden yeah I mean, that, there's a great documentary on them um about that that farewell tour if you've ever if you haven't seen it you should watch it because it's really cool because they're kind of going between live music, you know, of the, of that final show and like having like little inner interviews. And then at the end they're they all go to this studio um, where they like just, just hanging out and kind of singing and shit and playing. And it's just it, this little tiny place and, and just like playing music. And it's just like, this is just legendary shit. And I, I got invited to the final show. Oh uh check this out by jack so i'm, I'm buddies with jack osborne oh cool. And, and so that's that was the connection but jack's like hey man just make your way over here and like i'll i'll hook up to everything and i was like dude I, as a fan i would absolutely shit my pants to be you know <laughs> like absolutely would love that but as a friend i don't want to get in the way and be a third wheel like, I know this is going to be an emotional, significant event for your dad yeah. and for you and your mom, like for your family and for the Sabbath family. And the last thing that they want is some idiot standing there in the corner being like, taking it to these <laughs> people, and, you know, stuff Smile. like that. <laughs> Say cheese, so I Ozzy. Like, I, I literally was like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but, you know, no. Uh, you know, I'd love to, but thanks. Appreciate it. But I, I don't feel like it's my place to be in the middle of that. That band is strangely underrated to me. Like Geezer is a fucking badass. Like nobody talks yeah. about him. Like he's yeah. just a badass. There's, there's also a, a chemistry that exists. And that's one of the things that I feel like is such a uh, huge part of you know live music and everything else. I've I've seen tons of bands. I'm sure you have too. And some bands that you're like in love with, and then you see them live, and it's a letdown. It just like yep. lacks the chemistry. It lacks the emotion, whatever it is. And then there's other stuff. And I will say, I saw Sabbath on the last two tours that they did, uh, probably five or six times. And I mean, from road two right in front of. Tommy, you know, Tony, uh, literally watching that guy play every note. I mean, just absolutely those dudes, the energy that they brought at 70 years of age was better than any band that I've seen that's half their age. Any like not even close, man. Absolutely not even close. I could name bands and I I feel like I would be talking shit about another band that I don't want to do that, but I could name acts that I've seen recently that I'm like, dude, blew those guys away. A bunch of 70 year olds blew those dudes away. I, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think it became like, I, I don't want to use the word theatrical because I think Pussifer is theatrical in a great way. Um, but it became more about the show than the plane, you know? And then, which is weird because like it was that pendulum swing because it's like the grunge thing was all about the music and then it kind of swung back and then it became about like the, the theatrics of the show and not the actual plane. Like, I agree. Like there's been so many shows that I'm just like, Oh my God, this is just brutal. Like there's like 
taped shit happening and blah, blah. You can't, I don't even know what's real, what's not. And it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think that, you know, like live music kind of died there at the end of the nineties. Like, I think it came back in some ways and, you know, hopeful that I, I'm like, it'll be weird to like, see what happens here again, the post COVID world, like what, what we really are. Well, I've, I've got faith in, in stuff. And so, you know, my younger son, who's 19, uh, I think Red Hot Chili Pepper, Soundgarden, Nirvana, like his three favorite bands. And that has nothing to do with me playing it or exposing him to that. Yep. Uh, because at the time when he was really kind of being influenced by music and outside uh, kind of stimuli, that's not what I was listening to. And I, I was more into the Shinedown, Papa Roach, yep. kind of, you know, heavier, more contemporary rock music. So when I was playing in bands in uh, Fayetteville and ended up in, in one band that did really well, that's the kind of stuff we were playing. Not, not covers, but original kind of versions of that type of stuff. So Chevelle and, yeah. and of course, of course, too, was always a Van Halen fan. So, you know, he'd heard Mean Streets and Unchained and every any Van Halen song he'd heard thousands of times, but where he settled and where he gravitated to was all this music from the early nineties. Yep. Chevelle's Chevelle, a great band. Oh man. Yeah, I, still, I still love that. I, yeah. Absolutely. And actually there's a, there's a, I think it was Joe Rogan had a, had a podcast with David Lee Roth. There was fascinating like just didn't understand like who he was as a person, <laughs> but like, I was just like, Whoa, dude, like this guy is like on another level, um, in a really yeah. interesting way. Um, you but, think about, um, you know, one of the things that impressed me about Van Halen and I, I didn't get to see them. Uh, I was too young to see them early, early. Yeah. I think I saw them for the first time in, uh, maybe it was 85. I didn't, I didn't even get to see the, uh, the 1984 tour. And then I saw him, I think four times on the reunion tour, um, oh, whoa. 2007, those, yeah. those shows were amazing too. Um, but the thing that always impressed me about those guys is, you know, it literally 20 and 21 years of age, those, they were owning stadiums. I mean, absolutely. And in, in addition they weren't just owning stadiums because they were some insane performers. It was, man, they had the songs, yep. they had the shops. I mean, nobody played like that. Absolutely nobody. The backing vocals just right on. No, you know, that's before you could play the tracks and, you know, have backing tracks piped in yep. via Pro Tools through your PA, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, those guys just killed it, you know, jumping off everything, running all over the place, playing, still playing amazingly. And uh, yeah, very hard to see that nowadays. Yeah. Now <laughs> we sound like the old men on the porch. Yeah, exactly. God, get it. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to go. I'm definitely going to try to get up and see uh tool like that. I've, I don't know how many times I've seen them, maybe 10 there. I, I just, there's no frills with them. Like it's so where, where would you see them in DC? Area? I'd probably see them in DC. Are they playing down further south? Are they playing down in Carolina? You're in Carolina, right? I'm in uh, Long Island. You are you up in New York? Okay. 
I know they're, they're playing in New York. They're playing, they're playing really close to me here at um, not Barclays. Um, it's the new uh, where the Islanders are going to play, right. or where they're right. playing. So they're playing there. But I was thinking about catching them in DC because I think they're playing in DC on a weekend. And I want to see him. I want to like. Right. You know, <laughs> I want to enjoy this. On it. Yeah. I, I so the last time, the last time I saw him, I took a train to the show, and I met a bunch of friends there. And somehow I couldn't manage to get myself on a train home. I ended up in an Uber. <laughs> nice. Broke my cell phone, and uh, yeah, pretty much don't remember coming home. <laughs> that just means it was a good show. I'm trying to yeah. remember the last time I saw. I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, they're playing DC February 22nd. DC is definitely the closest for me. That's like 90 minutes. Um, although they are playing Columbus, Ohio. I could always go back, visit visit people in Columbus. And so, yeah, I just, they're, they're just, there's no bullshit with them. Like, you know, like there's, that's what I, you know, like there's, it's very rare that they actually have like overdubs on their songs, which is insane because it's yeah. so, it's kind of like Rush, like we were talking about earlier. It's like Rush, Rush projected more than a three piece. Well, basically yeah. Tool is a three piece because I mean, Maynard just sings and it's like the, the stuff that comes out of them is just insane. It's just yeah. insane to me. Yeah, amazing, amazing band. They uh, they they sounded as good as the album, you know, yep. when I saw. Them. And yep, that that in itself is is a feat, yep. you know. Yep. Well, dude, um, thank you for doing this because this is epic, and I literally look forward to talking anymore because I, like I said, I I think, um, this is just fun. I can imagine just going out and having a beer and shooting music shit all day long. So. Um, and like I said, <clears throat> I'm going to keep you like posted on the Montana thing. Cause again, I just think it would be fun to come out, whether you record any guys recording anything or not, just to come out and rehearse for a week or whatever in a, yeah, yeah. in a space. And, um, cause we're going to try to <clears throat> go full bore and get a, you know, like a, a crazy, amazing studio f once we get funded <laughs> and, yeah. you know. Oh, would love would love to man and obviously keep in touch and uh, yeah i'm gonna i'm actually gonna send you one of my band's old songs here when we're done um oh, nice. just because it comes from that you know that 90s thing like the, the guitarist in my band was like just you know great great riff writer you're talking about earlier and uh, i always i always like i can't say that i was a malcolm young guy oh yeah uh, versus angus but you know malcolm absolutely held down acdc i mean that's totally the heart of acdc but i was definitely a james hetfield scott ian kind of player you yep. know like if you could do that and that's that's why i really like jerry cantrell and he'll talk about it and say you know there was a, there was a moment in time where people were going the pyrotechnic route yeah and and learning how to blaze and shred and he goes i just stayed with the riffs i was always about riffs and that always resonated with me because I felt like those guys at the time just couldn't play that way. Like I, I just, I can play most of eruption, you know, like I can do some of that type of stuff, but it's just not, I don't know. I don't, I don't find joy in that when I can write something that's like, boom, okay. That is what it's all about <laughs> to me. 
movies, you know? I lockstep in line with you, brother. Like, yeah. totally. Like, those things just, like, seep into me. So you were trying to end the conversation, and I brought it back. This is the 24-hour <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to get my bottle of tequila. We're going to just keep going. You remember what you were wearing when you first heard. <laughs> no, dude. I, well, this is something, actually, maybe we'll do a part two, actually, because that would be a blast, too. And actually, No, that's actually a good idea. Like, once you guys record your album, like, that would be fun to have you know, even all you guys on, like, if you want to do that, like, I mean, it'd be a blast because like I said, I mean, I, you know, I, I just feel like I want to call you like anyways and just shoot the shit about music because like that, (laughs) I mean, being serious, like the shit just gets me excited. Like that's one of the things that here I am like now talking more. That's the, one of the things I miss the most is just being on stage or really, really truly recording in the studio because it's like, that energy like that show we did with with megadeth and and the misfits it was like it was ten thousand people and like you walk out on stage and it's like holy shit like this is it man like and you just get lost for 45 minutes and just play those tunes and it's just like that you can't replicate that shit you can't yeah yeah that's that's kind of the payoff and yep. that that's the thing it's like especially with covid um not being able to do that kind of payoff piece yep you know, so writing music is is super rewarding. And what's really rewarding and was kind of an unintended consequence. I, I guess I wasn't expecting as much of this as, as what I've gotten, but the number of people, uh, young kids, you know, older people, veterans, non-veterans, whomever that are like, man, I love this song. I really, you know, connect with it. And it hits me when I hear it. And that's powerful. That's yep. really powerful. It's powerful in a way that, I'm sad that I haven't been able to, with the exception of, you know, a handful of events that we've done and played that we haven't been able to do it more because we're, de- we're definitely a high energy group. And I feel like when we are together, there's just a magic, like yep. I'm not going to compare it to Sabbath's level of, you know, when they, when they get together, it's just a, a thing of beauty, but you can definitely feel it. And yep. When we hit the zone, when we're playing together, it just, man, you can feel it. Everything's firing on all cylinders yep. and you can also feel it when it's not clicking. And um, anyway, yep. but also, you know, I, fe- I feel like we sidebarred into a lot of music, but I'm happy to come back on at any point too. Oh, dude, totally. No, totally. Veteran performance, create, you know, whatever that stuff too that you want to talk about. I'm I'm happy to do that too. No, cool. Now we'll be we will definitely stay in in really good touch because this this to me feels natural as shit. And like I just you know, I love love talking music and and you're you're a fucking great dude, man. So like this is I'm glad JB put us in touch. And um I'll this will be out next Monday. So I'll send you like some um like I said, I'll send you some promo stuff, just pictures, and, and I'll cut, cut out a couple snippets. And I'll use that war song, if you're fine with that, as the music yeah. background. So, cool. Brother, have a great day. Look forward to staying in touch. And, and like I said, this was, this was epic. This was fun. <laughs> hey, same, dude. Uh, cool. Thanks for having me and appreciate what you're doing, too. Guys, guys like me a platform to come on and talk. Absolutely, brother. All right. Talk soon, brother. Okay, same. Later. Later. Back to... All the time spent, time spent preaching, but there's no one listening.
Well, that was completely epic. Uh, like talking to someone I've known forever. Just love hearing his stories about his military past, his music, how the band came together. Uh, like I said, I could talk to Brad all day long about music. So I'm really, really looking forward to further conversations and, and, and just a lot more. So anyways, make sure to follow Brad on Instagram at Brad thomas underscore official and make sure to follow the band on instagram at silence underscore and underscore light underscore official also make sure to stop by their website silenceandlightmusic.com and pick up some merch pick up some music really help them support the causes that they are supporting you can also find their music on itunes and all other music streaming platforms a reminder to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Thank you for listening to The Abstract Athlete Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and our social media outlets for future events, pop-up exhibits, podcasts, and other information, including daily creative training journals and subscription boxes. Thank you. We will see you next week. And as always, do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there.